Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by health and medical reporter Lauren Caruba. She's on the show to talk about her story of one of the first double lung transplants due to COVID. How are you doing, Lauren? It's good to have you back. I'm good. Thanks for having me. All right, Lauren. So you've been covering COVID since the beginning, and there are a lot of stories to tell. Can you give me a quick recap on this story and how um, kind of how it came to be? Sure. So this story focuses on John Vargas. Um, he fell ill with COVID during San Antonio's first surge. So back in June 2020, um, when the virus was really starting to spread across the city for the first time. And um, I started reporting on him um, in October. And by that point, he had received a double lung transplant because COVID-19 had completely destroyed his lungs at the age of 34. And this story really actually built a lot on the previous reporting I had done. I had previously reported on um, something called ECMO, which is extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. It's a type of life support that bypasses the lung and in some cases the heart and basically does the work of those organs by like manually pumping oxygen into the blood. And so he was um, a patient of one of the doctors I had previously interviewed. And so that was really helpful in getting connected with his medical team. Um, I started talking to his sister extensively because she was with him for the transplant. And what ended up happening to him is he was here in San Antonio, hospitalized at Methodist Hospital, and he needed a transplant. But at that time, um, this was around August, um, there had really been very few transplants done for COVID patients. And so he ended up getting flown halfway across the country to UF Health Shands Hospital in Gainesville, Florida. And that's actually where he underwent the transplant. Um, but another big part of this story is that you know, he went through this like physical and mental health slash emotional battle to get this transplant. Um, it's very difficult for people to go from being like a healthy, able-bodied young person to suddenly being so critically ill that you can't eat, you can't breathe on your own, you can't even stand up. And so that was something that he had to face because he had to undergo like really extensive rehab before the transplant. And it was definitely a big struggle for him. And how long have you been in contact with John or uh, how long have you been covering his story? 
since October. So this would have, um, I, this would have been, um, early October. I started talking with his sister. Um, one of our photographers, Lisa Krantz, who shot photos for this story, I think had been in touch with his sister a little bit earlier. Um, we kind of knew of him, but they were out of the state. And so they were kind of hard to reach, but yeah, it would have, um, we started talking to them in earnest in October and have been reporting on them ever since. And I'm curious, cause you mentioned how on top of it being physically difficult, what he's going through, how emotionally difficult it was as well. Was he hesitant to open up to you uh, to tell his story? What what was that like? Yeah, yeah. I think the really interesting thing about this story is that it kind of shows that there's like a really big mental health component to being critically ill with something like COVID that I don't think has been talked about enough. Um, like I said, you know, it's really difficult from being like completely healthy to six weeks late, later, your lungs are destroyed and you cannot do anything on your own. You're completely dependent on machines and hospital staff to live. Right. And so for, for John, you know, that sent him into a spiral of depression and anxiety, and he had never had issues with those two mental health conditions before. He was not shy at all about sharing this part of his journey because I think he realized that, you know, this is, this is just what happened to him. He got, he, he said he got into a really dark place and, um, became very demotivated to do the things that he needed to do to get the transplant. Because the thing about transplants and especially with lung transplants, which are more rare than other types of transplants, you're, you're a candidate. Basically you are not guaranteed the organ unless you do everything that you have to do in order to be a strong candidate, especially for lungs, since there are such high rates of rejection, high rates of infection, um, higher mortality rates than other types of transplants. They really want to make sure that they're picking the right patients for these procedures so that these this very limited resources of lungs goes to people with the best chances of having a good life with them. And so at one point, he was kind of ready to give up and go back to San Antonio because he just wasn't in the right mindset to be participating in this physical therapy, which was, for him, you know, standing 50, 15 seconds at a time was difficult. That's, that's where he started at, where he would just sit and stand for 15 seconds. And he was so sick at that point that that was even that was very difficult for him. You mentioned John Delavope in your article. Was he the surgeon that performed the, the transplant? No, he was um, John's doctor here in San Antonio, and um, he was um, the the doctor who put him on ECMO, which is basically the thing that was keeping him alive in time for him to get the transplant. Um, ECMO is something that was actually created several decades ago, and it was mostly used for for babies. But in the recent decades, it's become this kind of lung replacement for critically ill lung and stage lung disease patients, in some cases, heart patients, people with severe lung injuries, which includes people with COVID. Um, and so it's used on a very small proportion of COVID patients like who are usually on the younger side and don't have that many health conditions, um, but wouldn't survive otherwise. And so he was treated by Dr. Delavope here in San Antonio. And then he was taken to Florida where he was operated on in Florida um, by, and the surgeon's name was um, Dr. Tiago Machuca. Did you get a chance to interview uh, Mr. Delavope for your interview? I did. Yes. And what kind of insights was he able to give you? Yeah. So, um, I had spoken with him several times before actually. So I, he already knew me and I already knew him, um, in his work and what his program did. And basically what he told me was that, you know, John was one of the sickest patients in their hospital during the first surge. He was just 
so incredibly ill. He was on a ventilator and on ECMO. And even then his oxygen saturation was still like in the seventies, which is incredibly low for someone who's still on full oxygen support in that way. A normal person's, a healthy person's blood oxygen saturation is between 95 and hundred percent. So you can see how sick he was. His lungs were just completely compromised. And so, you know, at the hospital, a lot of the staff were talking about, you know, is this futile care? Like, are we doing more harm than good? Because when you're keeping someone alive like that, these ethical questions always come up as to, you know, is this hurting the patient more than helping them? Um, And so what ended up happening is eventually another patient from the same ICU as John from Methodist went to Florida to get a transplant and ended up being successful. So then the doctors there asked his sister and him and his family if he would be willing to do something like that because there was no other option for him to get out of the hospital. He never would have been able to come home if he had not gotten this transplant. So it was kind of his last option if he wanted to survive. And so that's what they ended up doing. And so he was referred to the center in Florida. He could have gotten the transplant done here in San Antonio, um, but he was more comfortable going to Florida because they had at least done a COVID transplant before and very few centers at that time had done them. So they were kind of this rare, unprecedented um, type of procedure that like doctors were still learning about. So to kind of get back to John, I'm curious to what his life is like after the surgery. Is there any hope for... uh, some sort of normalcy to his life uh, after the surgery? So a lung transplant for any kind of patient is a life-changing procedure. Um, uh, Like I mentioned, lung transplants tend to have higher rates of rejection. They tend to have higher rates of infection and mortality than other types of transplant. They're more invasive than other types of organ transplants. Like they're more invasive than a liver or a kidney transplant because if you think about it, the lung is one of the few organs that's inside your body, but is also connected to the outside, right? So the donor lungs from the deceased donor have been breathing things in from that person's environment. Um, and so it's a, it's, it's, and it's much more invasive. I mean, to do the lung transplant, they literally have to saw through your sternum, open up your chest and, it's, it's just a very, very major surgery. And so his life is never going to be like it was before. Um, he has to be careful about his diet. He can no longer eat like rare steak or sushi because of the risk of infection. He cannot be near lawnmowers or smokers because of what he might breathe in. And he needs to, he has a responsibility once you get the transplant like this to protect the lungs, to protect the new lungs. Um, he is a lot stronger than he was, but he's still physically weaker than he was before the surgery. He's lost more than 100 pounds. So he's a lot more frail than he used to be. But at the same time, he is here. He's he's 35 years old now. And he's here when otherwise he wouldn't be. And for him, just having the chance to be with his daughters again, he has two daughters, um, Leilani and Mariah, they're eight and nine now. Um, they were seven and eight when this whole thing was happening last year. You know, that kind of means the world to him. You had another article earlier this week, I believe it was uh, what medical experts have learned after a year with COVID. And I kind of wanted to explore that because this double lung transplant, I'm sure is we might not have heard of before COVID. Uh, Can you just tell me more about that aspect of it, what we've learned? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think from a medical perspective, John's story kind of shows us the best parts of medicine, right? How you're able to save a life that otherwise wouldn't have been able to be saved because we've advanced so far. Um, But at the same time, you know, the pandemic 
has really kind of showed the gaps in our healthcare and public health systems. You know, we know that this virus disproportionately affects our most vulnerable um, communities of color, low income people, people in nursing homes, the elderly, people with underlying health conditions that they might have because of generational differences in their neighborhoods and things of that nature. And so the the medical system has done its best to respond to COVID over the past year. And it's been a very valiant effort. You know, lots of hospitals have had to really expand their capacity. Lots of healthcare workers like working themselves to death over time, just trying to respond to this flood of patients. But the fact that we got to the point where so many hospitals were in danger of being overwhelmed because hospitals are not built to have, you know, for at least in San Antonio during our surges, we're talking about like 1,200 to 1,500 extra patients on top of all the other patients that they normally deal with. Hospitals are not built with those kinds of margins. You know, they, they don't have that much extra room just lying around and that much extra staff. And so it kind of really shows that you know, we need to be a country that focuses more on like preventative healthcare and things that prevent so many people from becoming so incredibly sick from a virus that attacks so many different organ systems. So that if you do have some underlying health conditions, that's going to make you way more vulnerable than someone who doesn't have those conditions. And this is a question more about you. Um, It feels like it doesn't feel like it is COVID has sucked up the oxygen in the room. Are there stories that you wish you could have told that you just couldn't because COVID took center stage? Yes, absolutely. I've been covering COVID full time since early February 2020. My first coronavirus story was February 4th. um, And that was when um, evacuees from Wuhan, China were sent to um, Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio for federal quarantines. Um, So I've been covering this for a long, long time now, it feels like. And I've had to basically drop everything else that I was working on before COVID um, because as a health and medical reporter, there was no bigger story this past year than COVID and the way that it has completely changed our society. It's completely changed communities. It's completely changed our medical system. There, there's been nothing disru- disruptive to the medical system for like a hundred years. And so the pandemic has been my sole focus pretty much except for one-off stories here and there. Um, but yes, there were, there were projects that I was working on before all this happened. Um, there's stories that I'm hoping to be able to get back to perhaps later this year. Now that things are finally starting to normalize a little bit more and vaccination levels are rising. Um, but at the same time, we're, we're probably not going to be getting quote unquote back to normal again for, for a little bit. And so for the time being, COVID is still kind of my, my biggest focus because we also have we have the pandemic, but then we have the aftermath. We have people like John who are left with life-changing medical conditions, like kind of like a long-term disability. We know long COVID is something that's affecting a lot of patients, even who had really mild cases. And then you have the whole subset of critically ill COVID patients who also are going to have lasting effects from this disease. And so there's a lot more storytelling to be done, um, but hopefully we can also kind of go back to reporting on some of the other important things that are happening with health and medicine as well. Well, Lauren, I think that's a good place to end it. I appreciate you coming on the show. I told you earlier before we started recording how one of the very first in-depth episodes that I did was with you, uh, 18 hours in a COVID ICU. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was our first one. Well, now here we are. This is the 40th episode that I've done and we're still talking about COVID uh, a year later. Hopefully you'll get a chance to tell more 
non-COVID related stories in the years coming up. Thanks again for being on the show, Lauren. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs>